Now, as we go through the book of Revelation now, we, um, there, there are going to be portions that we're going to be able to speed up and we're going to be able to get through quite quickly. Um, unfortunately, chapter 4 is not one of those. <laughs> so um, we'll see how we go and we may have to split this up and, and, and make it into a two-part. I don't want to uh, skim over some of the, the beautiful things that are in here. Uh, and there are some beautiful things. And, and what we're going to be introduced to tonight is the throne of heaven. And I see that as fitting again the Lord's hand in this because it is Palm Sunday. And we talked this morning about the king coming to that earthly throne uh, to be rejected. But there is a higher throne. And that's the throne of heaven. And what a majestic throne it is. And that's what we're going to have a look at tonight. And uh, that word throne is, is used or mentioned 17 times in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation. Now, I understand that the chapter numbers are not inspired, but in those portions of Scripture in, in, in Revelation chapter number 4, you'll find uh, throne used or indicated uh, 12 times. And number, the number 12 is important in Scripture. I've said this before and I will say it again. Numbers are important in Scripture, but not all numbers are important. So there has to be a line. So, you know, you get these books, secret Bible code and stuff. You have to draw a line. But numbers are important. And Judaism, very important. Very important. And the number 12 is that number of um, perfect governmental foundation. That's why there was 12 disciples. That's why there was 12 apostles. It wasn't a coincidental number. And uh, this number 12 in relation to the throne is used in chapter 4. And, and that's, in chapter 4, that's what we see the throne as. We see it as that perfect governmental foundation. It is the throne of God. It is the throne of heaven. When we get into chapter number 5, you'll see it mentioned uh, a further uh, five times. You have it 12 times in chapter 4, five times in chapter 5. And 5 is the number of grace throughout Scripture. And again, you'll see this number throughout Scripture. Um, David, with his, his stones, how many stones? Accidental? No, no, because God slew Goliath. It was grace on display. Grace on display. And you'll see it throughout, throughout Leviticus. You'll see this as well. We don't have time to look at it. Um, but when we get into chapter 5, you'll see that the, the throne of government in chapter 4 is also a throne of grace. Because the one who is upon it steps up and looses the seals of the book. And I, I love chapter number five when we get there. And, it, you know, well, let's just look at it. It's just a little bit of introduction. Um, verse number two of chapter five. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book or to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book. And to look thereon. I'm thankful that there is one that then goes on to stand up and open that book. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the throne in, in Revelation 5 is indeed a throne of grace. With the gracious saviour. But Revelation 4 is the perfect governmental authoritative throne of God. And what a way to set out the rest of this portion of scripture. Remember, these are the things that will be. And when we start this, we start at the throne of heaven. And that is no accident because the things that are going to unfold on earth that we'll see are, are, are catastrophic. There are things unfolding. There are seals being opened. There are, are earthquakes. There are disasters. Uh, people are dying left, right and center. And it, and it looks traumatic and it is traumatic. 
but we start off at the throne of God so that we know that no matter what goes on on earth, God is on the throne. He is sovereign over all. And what a place that is to start. It's a starting place for everything. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And he is on the throne. So, Revelation chapter number 4, we're going to have a look at the, the throne of heaven. And what a sight it is to behold. And we have to feel for John here. Because John is being presented with something that is beyond Beyond the best of human language. This is the throne of heaven. And John is is literally, he is writing and he's saying what he sees. I don't know, we were talking about this. Funny funny how when you talk about something, it appears. I think, was it me and you, William, were talking about Roy Walker and catchphrase? And that was his line. Say what you see. You don't have the words for it. Just say what you see. What comes to mind? What do you see? And of course, John is under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But he's saying what he sees. But his words are the best that he could do on the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But they pale in comparison to what it will be like. You have to understand this. Because man cannot come up with enough superlatives to describe heaven. And John is, is, he can imagine the glory that he's beholding here. And he's doing his best. And he uses things that he knows. And we'll see this and we'll see how the Holy Spirit uses it. Uh, in his inspired word, and we'll see some beautiful pictures come out here, beautiful pictures. I I think one of the greatest pictures that we'll see in the whole book of Revelation we're going to see tonight in the throne and and what's used. So, again, John's using language is familiar. The Holy Spirit is helping him. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us tonight to see this language and to see what is on display, and it is a majestic sight. So, before we uh, get into it, let's pray, shall we? And ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would help us tonight. I pray you would help me especially, Lord, to uh, be able to uh, convey these truths in the best way that I can. Lord, I I want to impress upon us all, me included, uh, the wonder and the majesty of this throne. And Lord, what an overwhelming vision it would have been for John. And Lord, it's a throne that we will be uh, fully familiar with one day that we will see and we will behold and we thank you, Lord, for that. But Lord, this evening, I pray that you would help us as we get into the book of Revelation, help us to see these things, some things that may be new, some things that may be old, Lord, but whatever it is, will you thrill our souls as we look at the very throne of heaven this evening. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read from verse number two of chapter four. The word of God says this, And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, and sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast was like a calf, the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, 
And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not night and day, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So, straight away we can see why a large proportion of churches in Stoke-on-Trent will fall away after chapter 3 of, of the book of Revelation. Because it's easy to talk about the church, and it's easy to talk about the church age. But when we get into this, and, and this is not language that is familiar with the church age, you have to look into the Old Testament. And when you do, you see this is very familiar language to Israel and the people of the Old Testament. So as a church, when we come to this and think, well, there's not much church language in, in here, really. Um, a lot of things that are, are kind of foreign to the church, as you would say. That's not by, um, that's by design, because primarily we're going to pick up with Israel. But this is different language. And it does take a little bit of, of looking at, and it takes a little bit of study, and it takes a little bit of working out. But when you do that study, and when you start to look and, and say, well, what do these things mean? What did they mean to John? He was trying to describe a vision of the glory of God, and he was using things that he knew. So what was he trying to mean behind them? Don't come along and say, well, this doesn't really mean anything. It's, it's an allegory, or, or don't really worry about it. We don't need to look at it. No, John was using these terms, and it meant something to him, and it should mean something to us. And when we look to the Old Testament, we see the meanings come clear. And when you dig and spend time digging, that's where you get precious, precious jewels. Precious, precious jewels, and we'll see that this evening, hopefully. So, first of all, we, we want to start as we, as we have this kind of, this is like a panorama of the throne of God. And in verses uh, 2 and 3, we have the view of the throne. Um, look at verse 2 of Revelation 4. It says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So this throne is set in heaven. Now, in Scripture, we are presented with Three heavens in Scripture. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Where's my water gone? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Paul writes this. A very modest Pauline language, but this was Paul, I have no doubt about it. He says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. So, if there's a third heaven, what does that mean? There's a one and a two heaven, right? It's, it's simple, it's simple logic. God's a God of order. Um, so, we, we want to look at these, these heavens this evening a little bit. Uh, I've got a little diagram there. You may be able to see that. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk through it. If there are three heavens, we want to start at the third heaven. And the third heaven is the abode of God. So let's turn to Psalm 11, verse number 4. Third 
Third heaven is where God rules from. Psalm 11 verse 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try, the children of men. So the Lord's throne is in heaven. This is the third heaven. This is uh, the highest location of the kingdom of God, if you like. This is where God rules from. This is where Satan was thrown from. We're going to look at this maybe a little bit tonight, certainly when we get on. Remember, Satan was uh, the, the chief created angel. He was, he was the protector of God's glory. He was the pinnacle angel. You know, we get this picture of the devil that he's some ugly, deformed creature. I couldn't be further from the truth. Scripturally, he is a, a creature of immense beauty. He was the pinnacle of God's created angelic order. He was the chief cherubim. He was the one that was anointed to cover the glory of God. He was the protector of God. But of course he lost that position and he was cast from heaven. It was the third heaven that he was cast from. The third heaven is where God and his angels reside. The third heaven is where the new Jerusalem currently resides. I say currently because when we get a little bit later on in, in Revelation, we're going to see that, it, that it's coming down. And we'll, we'll, we'll see this connect in, in times uh, come. So that's the, the third heaven. That's God's abode. Then we have the second heaven. This is the, the stellar heaven. You can see that in the middle. This is the uh, universe. This includes the sun, the moon, uh, the stars. The second heaven is above us. We look up past the atmosphere, if you like. We get into, the, into space, and that's where we see uh, the second heaven. And the second heaven has influence. It has influence over us. You can see this in human history from, from day one. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter number four. We've been here before where the Lord warns, warns his people about the power that the sun, the moon, and the stars will have over them if they let. Deuteronomy 4, verse 19, the word of God says this, Unless thou lift thine eyes up unto heaven, this is the second heaven, when thou seest the sun, the moon, the stars, even all the host of heaven, again, the second heaven, Shouldst be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God has divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. So the second heaven, God uh, gives a clear warning to his people to, to not follow the sun, the moon, and the stars, because you'll be driven to worship them. And, um, you know, the, the second heaven also, I believe, is, is the place where Satan rules from. And, and you're going to say to me, well, well hold on, Pastor. Isn't it, doesn't he walk to and fro across this earth, seeking whom he may devour? Yes, absolutely he does. I'm not denying he has access to this heaven. He's the prince of the power of the air. But I think this is his place of, of rule. This is where he gets his worship. And we'll, we'll see this. And you can see this in human history. But for, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians verse 6, verse 12 should be familiar to us. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places in the King James. Should be translated, better translated, heavenly places. Heavenly places. 
And we know that Satan was, Lucifer was kicked out of the third heaven. Luke tells us in 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 18. You don't need to turn there. Uh, it says, And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. What heaven is that? That's the third heaven. What is the next heaven? It's the second heaven. Now, when you think about the heavens, you think about the sun and moon and the stars, what was their point? Why were they created? Size and seasons, number one. Also, size and seasons for light. Show the glory of God, absolutely. So Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. So when man looks at the stars, he is meant to look and, 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 and see the general revelation of God and realize that this is an awesome scene, and it is. It's an awesome scene. The universe is spectacular. But we shouldn't worship it. We should worship the one who created it. Because it was created, yes, for signs and seasons, yes, for time, but also to show the glory of God. And when Satan fell, I absolutely believed he turned the second heaven into a mechanism for worship of him and not for God. When did I think this happened? Genesis, Genesis 10. Let's turn there. Genesis 10, verses 8 to 10. Genesis 10, verse 8 to 10, we're introduced to Nimrod. Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty uh, one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, and the land of Shinar. So we're introduced to, to Nimrod. Nimrod really is the first organized Satan worshiper. He, Babylon and Babel is responsible for all the occult that has come through the generations. You will tie it back to Babylon. You will find it there. Now there are new ones that have appeared, but they're just rehashing of old things. Turn to Genesis 11. So Nimrod, he's organizing, and it's rebellion against God. Organized. Because, again, Satan is not disorganized. He wants worship. I will be like the Most High. He wants God's position. He wants worship. He wants his order. Genesis 11, verse 1 to 4. And the whole earth was of one language, of one speech. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly, or throughly. And they had brick for stone, slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. So that, that top to reach the heaven, and, and I know that you know this, it isn't a ladder to get into space. It was a center of astrology. It was worship of the stars. The stars. And when you look back in, in, in through, through history and you see the heart of human rebellion against God and the false worship is, is set up, you can tie pretty much all of it to worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Islam, Allah, moon God. You go through Egypt, sun, you go through the Roman Empire and their gods. What was it? Saturn, Jupiter, 
You go into witchcraft and it's seasonal, it's equinox. It's this uh, body, the second heaven, that receives the worship. Not the third heaven, the throne room of God, but the second heaven where the sun, the moon and the stars have taken people's uh, imaginations and they've been dragged away just like God said they would and they're worshipping the sun, the moon and the stars and sitting behind that pyramid of power is the devil himself, the one who wants to take God's place. You can see it. Go and look and you'll find it all tied back in. The thing that was created as uh, one of the things to show forth God's glory has been perverted by the enemy as he does to receive false worship. And people flock to it, they fall for it, and they give worship to these gods that ultimately filter back to the enemy, the great deceiver. He presents himself as light when he is nothing but it. That's the second heaven. And I will say to you, and we'll get to this when we get to the book of Revelation, I don't believe it's any coincidence when we get to the end of time when we get to the place where the eternal kingdom is coming, Revelation 21, Revelation 22, you go home and you can read it tonight for yourselves, you will see, and Peter talks about this, that the second heaven is is burned up, and you'll see the new Jerusalem, which resides in the third heaven, coming down to the first heaven. You will see that in Revelation 21, that in the city, Jerusalem, there's no need for light, why? Because the Lord is there. You get into Revelation 22 and you'll say there's no, it says there's no need for the sun because God lights the place. And the question is, well, if there's no need for the sun and it's been burnt away and the third heaven meets the first heaven where New Jerusalem comes down and connects the two, why is there no need for the sun, the moon and the stars? Because there is no time there. There are no seasons there. And the glory of God is there. God doesn't need to reveal his glory through the universe and that display of power. His glory is there revealed in the new heavens and the new earth. And I absolutely believe that place that Satan has polluted is gone. And now the first heaven and the third heaven meet, connected by the new Jerusalem. And we'll see that when we get there. And the first heaven, as we see, is the place where we live here on earth. This is what we're experienced with. This is the place we're most in touch with. This is the place, unfortunately, where Satan holds dominion. He's lost his access to the third heaven. We'll talk about that in due course later on down this study. But from the second heaven, he has access to the first heaven. We're going to see a little bit later on in Revelation where he is kicked out of the second heaven firmly to earth. We'll see that. But for now, he has dominion. How does he have dominion? He has dominion because he has stolen it, taken it from Adam and Eve, who were the caretakers of the world, given that by God. They lost it through deceit, and Satan stepped up and he took it. The first Adam lost it. That's why the second Adam has to take it back, or the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. But for now he is, the enemy is, the prince of the power of the earth. The whole world lies in uh, wickedness or rendered in the power of the wicked one. That's the world out there. And Satan does walk forward, back and forth, to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. It's his play field. 
And it is a battlefield. And we're in it. We're in it. We're in it. So we have the three heavens. And that will help as we go along through the book of Revelation. Seeing these. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about timings and different things. When we get to the war in heaven. That's in the second heaven. We'll see that and we'll get to that when we get to that. But for now we're in the third heaven. And for now we're looking at the throne of God. And what a sight. What a sight. The apostle John has before him. Look at verse 3. Of Revelation 4. And he that was sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So this is the throne. Um, although the Bible doesn't specifically say. By looking at some other scriptures we can deduce that this is the throne of God. Uh, Revelation 7. Excuse me. Turn there please. Revelation 7 verse 10. says, And crieth with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And of course the Father is upon the throne, but the Father is a spirit. He's a spirit. The only member of the Trinity that has body form is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why scripture says, No man has seen the Father and liveth. Because God is, is, is light, really. And John says there is one that is sat on the throne. So first of all, he says there is one that is sat on the throne, Revelation 4.3. So the throne is occupied. It is, it's, it's seated. And in terms of political terms, in terms of governmental terms, you know, we know in politics to be seated or unseated is, is to have the position, have the authority, have the power. So if a politician gets unseated, he's lost his power. And, and so this throne is occupied. It's not one that's vacant. God is seated. The message then is clear to John and to us as we get into the choppy waters of the wrath of God being poured out. We have to understand that the throne is seated upon it's occupied god is in control and he's not going to let go of that control because he is sovereign no matter what it looks like on earth god never leaves the throne we thank him for that so what does john say about this he sees one seated he says to look upon was like jasper uh, jasper later on is is described well let's turn there revelation 21 uh, verse 10 Jasper, or verse 11, sorry. Uh, Jasper is, is, is said to be uh, clear as crystal. That's what the scriptures tell us. Revelation 21, uh, verse 11. Having the glory of God, and our light was like unto a stone most precious, even a jasper uh, stone, clear as crystal. And, and jasper comes from the Hebrew root word to be bright. So there's a bright crystal clearness. To Jasper, and so really, I think you know it doesn't take much to that John is seeing this crystal clearness, and of course he's thinking about what he can describe it as, and and, and you know gemstones would have had an elevated position in society; they always have, and and that's the way humans work. And he uses this 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 perfect picture of crystal purity, crystal clearness. And he says, the one that's seated upon the throne is, is like Jasper. He's crystal clear. He's pure. He's pure. That's what the picture is. And then he goes on and he says, um, 
and a sardine stone. This, this is a ruby red stone. So there, you've got crystal clear pureness that he sees. He also sees a, a redness, a vivid redness. And again, we don't have to go too far, put a little bit of sanctified imagination in here to bring us to sacrifice, do we? We don't, really. And, and so you've got this the picture that he's seeing, that he's seeing perfect purity, but he's seeing this redness, and, and of course, associated with blood, associated with sacrifice. So you've got sacrifice and blood in this perfect uh, picture that's before him. And when you put the two together, you don't have to go too far from our Lord Jesus Christ. Perfectly pure and in his sacrifice. Cannot help but think of Christ. And it's with good reason we say that it's Christ that's enthroned here. Again, God is a spirit. Christ is the only member of the Godhead bodily that has a human or bodily form. John here, I believe, sees Jesus. He sees Jesus just like Stephen saw him. He sees Jesus just like Isaiah saw him. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. I think this is sometimes, this is a thing, and probably not in this church, but in, in other times, this is a thing that goes amiss in this. We often use this as a revelation of God's glory. Isaiah 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sit upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train be filled in the temple. And we often think Jehovah and, you know, the glory of God. Turn to John chapter 12, verse 37. John 12, verse 37. John 12, verse 37, But though he had done many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the sayings of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that uh, Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. That's Isaiah chapter 6. The one that Isaiah saw, holy, high, exalted, lifted up, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the one that is on the throne in heaven that is seen by John, I absolutely believe, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he sees him, he's like Jasper, crystal pure clarity. Clarity, clearness. He's like sardine, this vivid red. And he sees this beautiful picture. And, and again, the Holy Spirit is superintending here because there's, there's another beautiful, this is beautiful. I, I love this. And we're going to see that these stones are not random at all. There is no randomness in the word of God. The Holy Spirit is superintending here. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 28. So when you think of these stones, and again, remember, I set the tone at the start. We're thinking about this Jewish context. The Jewish mind, when you start to talk about these stones, these precious gemstones, and, 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 and particularly these ones, their minds cannot help but go back to the Old Testament. Exodus 28. Verse 17. This is the high priest's breastplate. 
And thou shalt set it in settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. That shall be the first row. The second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, an agate, an amethyst. And the third row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold in their enclosings. So when we look at this, and we think about these stones, every, every, every um, Hebrew mind would look back and think about the high priest's breastplate. They would think about these stones. The first row shall be a sardius, and then the last uh, row shall be a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. So we've had two stones, haven't we, in Revelation chapter number 4. The first uh, stone that's seen is a jasper. The second is uh, seen uh, is a sardius stone or sardine stone. Now these 12 stones represented each one of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And we have, in the order, we have the first. So who's that for all you theologians out there? No. Reuben. Reuben. Who's the last? Benjamin. Benjamin. Okay, these are the two stones that are being represented. This is God's word. This is not me trying to come up with something to try and make this fit. These are the stones of the breastplate. These two stones are the stone of Reuben and the stone of Benjamin. And when you look at their names, the two names of these tribes, Reuben means behold a son, and Benjamin means son of my right hand. Behold a son, son of my right hand. How beautiful is that? That John, when he sees this revelation of the throne of God and all that it is, and, 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 and Christ upon that throne, he looks at it and he uses these stones that come to his mind for the crystal purity, for the redness. So you've got sacrifice and you've got holiness mixed together. But those two stones and the two tribes that they represent carry the words, Behold a son, son of my right hand. It's Jesus lifted high and holy. What a beautiful picture it is that John sees. And so he, he uses these stones and then he goes on and he says, In sight like unto an emerald. Now that's my favorite stone. Can anybody guess why? Because I'm from the Emerald Isle. Yes, well done. Well done. It's green. But John here, he uses it and he says it's uh, a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Now we see rainbows, but we only see half the picture. Because rainbows, when seen from above, are, are fully circular. So when you go along and say, oh, there's a rainbow, uh, you know, and looking for the leprechauns, no funny jokes. <laughs> I haven't found them yet, I can tell you that now. Um, we, see, we see half the picture. From space, you'll see it, you'll see pictures of it, they can take pictures. It's a full circle, it's a full circle, and this is what's being seen here. It's round about, it's full circle, and of course, you know, a circle speaks of completeness, doesn't it? It speaks of eternal. So there's an eternality here that's being pictured, there's a completeness that's being pictured. Now, the, the stone, the emerald stone, is the stone of one of the tribes. Can you guess what tribe? Yes, it's the tribe of Judah. 
It's the tribe of Judah. And of course, Judah means praise. So you have in, contained in here, you know, behold a son, the son of my right hand, uh, this eternal rainbow, this crystal purity, this redness, and you have the, 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 the stone of Judah. Surely this is pictorial of the Lord Jesus Christ upon this throne. Surely it shows us his majesty and his glory as the one who is to be worshipped and to be praised. What a throne and what a view of the throne. Now we have some time, so... I don't know. <laughs> well, oh, this, this, could, this gamble could backfire. Let, let's, let's see. I think what we'll do I think what we'll do, we'll have to leave you hanging. I'm sorry. Oh, good, good. Because we want to look at, at the view around the throne. And let, let's just read it. Verse 4. We've had the view of the throne and what a, what a view it is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 is the view around the throne. And it says, around about the throne were four and twenty seats. Now, KJV uses seats. It's the word for thrones, thronos, but... It helps us identify that they are lesser than the one that we've just seen. It says, There were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats or thrones I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. We're going to be introduced here to the twenty-four elders. Now, there's different opinions about who these elders are. If you want to know who they are, you're going to have to come back next Sunday night and we'll go through it. And I'll tell you who I think they are and why I think that these 24 elders are representative of... I'll tell you next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this amazing, amazing heavenly scene. Lord, our minds cannot comprehend truly the majesty and the beauty of the throne room of God. But Lord, we thank you that as John looked at it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he did his best to describe with things that he knew. But Lord, you uh, superintended even that, that though he writ through his personality, yet you used that perfectly and mightily to describe who you are and what you've done. We thank you, Lord, that he's seen that crystal clear jasper. And Lord, we thank you that you are indeed uh, absolutely pure and holy. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that he's seen the sardius stone, that, that red that pictures the sacrifice. And we thank you, Lord, that you were perfectly holy, but yet you were perfectly willing to go to Calvary's cross, to sacrifice and shed your blood that we could be free. We thank you, Lord, for that picture that shows us that you are indeed the Son of the Father, the only begotten, and we thank you, Lord, for that rainbow of emerald. Lord, that tribe of Judah. And of course, we know that you came from the tribe of Judah. But we also know that Judah means praise, Lord. And that rainbow pictures eternal. And we know that heaven will be and is a place of eternal praise of the one who sits upon the throne. And we look forward to the day that we can join with the angels and declare holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. 
What a day that will be, Lord, when we're before you, then we see this throne in our glorified state and are able to worship you as you truly deserve. Lord, in this life, in our sin-filled world, and our sin natures, prevent us, Lord, from worshiping you truly as you should be worshipped. But Lord, when we reach heaven, all the shackles are off. Our worship will be everything it should be. And you will receive the worship that you are due for who you are. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are seated, that you are sovereign, and that you are a saviour. In your precious name, amen.